good afternoon. Um, our scripture for today is from Romans chapter 12, verses 15 to 16. Um, if you're able, can kindly stand up as we read the scripture. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. This is the scripture today. Amen. Hi, everyone. Welcome again to this gathering of New Hope Fellowship. Thank you, Ramon, for reading these words to us from our God. These words that instruct us and guide us and that we're going to look at today. On Sundays since October, we've been working through our church covenant, which is this, the set of commitments that the members of New Hope Fellowship have made to one another. Today, we're coming to the halfway point in our covenant and in our series. Now, as I've mentioned before, this series is a chance for members of this church to remember and to reaffirm the covenant that we've made with each other. But for anyone here who hasn't gone through our membership process, this is a chance for you to learn a little bit more about what New Hope is about, what New Hope Fellowship is aiming for, what we are trying to be as a church. And really more importantly than that, it's a chance for all of us to learn more about what life is meant to look like in the community of Christ's followers. What life is supposed to look like in a community made up of people who love Jesus, who have been saved by Jesus and are now seeking to follow him. And this is a community that all of you are welcomed into. All of us are welcomed into. God himself welcomes us into this community through faith, through belief in Jesus, his son. I'm going to invite you to pray with me before we look at what's before us today in Romans 12. Let's pray. Our Father, we ask that you would guide us into truth. And we confess that your word is truth. And so it's, as far as we're, we're studying our, our church covenant, but Lord, we're only studying this covenant because, because we believe that its roots are in your word. And so really what we want to see is what your word has to say to us. And as far as our covenant aligns with what your word has to say to us, then we want to affirm it and we want to accept it. But Lord, teach us. Teach us from your inspired, infallible, trustworthy words. And give us hearts that are receptive and open and vulnerable to whatever it is that you want to show us. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Uh, no one wants to be alone. Would you agree? No one wants to be alone. I don't, I don't mean that no one ever wants to be alone. We, we all want to be alone sometimes. Solitude is good, isn't it? My fellow introverts here would agree with me that a lot of solitude is good. Maybe we don't get enough of it. But loneliness is not good, is it? Isolation is not good. And ultimately, no matter what kind of personality you have, if you tend towards introversion or extroversion, regardless, you need people. You need community. None of us will thrive if we are completely alone. Alone in our sorrows, 
alone in our disappointments or alone in our joys even. Our church covenant acknowledges this reality and it meets us with a, with a promise, this promise to be present for one another. Here's what we're going to look at today, this, this commitment that we make in our church covenant. It reads this way, we will rejoice at each other's happiness and endeavor with tenderness and sympathy to bear each other's burdens and sorrows. We will rejoice at each other's happiness and endeavor with tenderness and sympathy to bear each other's burdens and sorrows. Uh, the language from that commitment is largely taken from the passage that Ramon just read to us a moment ago in Romans 12, 15. Th those verses in Romans are instructions for, from God to his churches, to local churches like ours. He says in Romans 12, 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. In other words, share in one another's experiences, whatever they might be. If it's the experience of pain and sorrow, share in that. If it's the experience of joy and celebration, share in that. Now, as I read this, I wondered, I wondered how many of us, I wonder which, which of these two you would say is harder. Is it harder to rejoice with those who rejoice or to weep with those who weep? Maybe it depends on the situation. Some people you might find easier to rejoice with and other people you might find easier to weep with. But in any case, as we unpack this brief verse, we're going to do so with three questions. Three questions. We're going to ask the what and the why and the how. In other words, what does it mean to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice? Why? Why are we called to do this? And lastly, how do we do it? So what is it? Why? Are we called to do it, and how do we do it? So what is this? What does it mean? Let's unpack a little more. I said that, that God is calling us here to share in one another's experiences, and even, even share in one another's emotions. He's calling us to resist indifference, to not be indifferent or aloof from one another. He's saying resist that kind of emotional distance that says, I, I know you're going through some stuff, but I got my own stuff to care about. I can't, I can't be bothered with what you're going through. I got to do me. And God is also simultaneously here, he's calling us to resist envy. Envy, that state of mind that says, why, why do they have it so good? What about me? Why, why do they experience so much blessing? How about me? Because that mindset, it robs us of the ability to celebrate the good things that are going on in other people's lives, right? It, it, it disables us from being able to celebrate the blessing and accomplishments of others. Someone else has an accomplishment that they're celebrating, you compare it to yours. Well, I've done more than that. Or I would do more if I had the opportunities that they had. Here's how Pastor Ray Ortland puts it in a great little book called The Gospel, How the Church Portrays the Beauty of Christ. He says, in a gospel culture, the people do not eye one another with negative scrutiny and merciless comparisons and guarded aloofness, but they move toward one another with rejoicing, with acceptance, and honor. You see, he's describing a culture where your accomplishments become our accomplishments, and we celebrate them together. 
where, where your blessing becomes a blessing to the whole community. And so we thank God for that blessing with you. Your blessing becomes my blessing, and I want to thank God with you for it. On Thanksgiving and every other day of the year. More than that, according to Romans 12, even your sadness becomes my sadness. Your disappointment becomes our collective disappointment so that we can weep with you. Your burden becomes our burden. And vice versa. It's this, it's this two-way street of empathy and compassion. There's a very similar message to this in 1 Corinthians 12, 26. Same author, the Apostle Paul. He says there, if one member suffers, all suffer. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. This is the kind of community that God is calling us to. It's a unique community. You know, we can all be pretty good at jealousy or indifference. I think they come pretty natural to many of us. Sometimes jealousy or indifference, like jealousy about someone's accomplishments or the good going on in their lives or, or indifference to their suffering, sometimes it can feel kind of automatic. It's not intentional. It's just the way we feel. Think about it. When, when might it be hard for you to rejoice with someone who's rejoicing? When might it be hard for you to celebrate when someone else is celebrating? How about, how about this? How about when they are getting the very things that you have been wanting? When they are experiencing and receiving the very things that you've been praying for, but you haven't gotten them, or you've been working for them, or, or you've been waiting for them, and now you see someone else enjoying those very things. Maybe you've been praying for a partner, for marriage, and you've been waiting. Someone else finds marriage. Or maybe you've been praying for a child, and waiting and trusting and trying, and someone else is pregnant. Someone else has a child. Maybe someone else gets the acceptance email from the school that you got waitlisted by. Maybe you just got rejected straight up. Or maybe someone else is liked by the person that you wish liked you. When are some other times when it's hard for you to enter into and really feel the joy that someone else is experiencing? Maybe it's when you're suffering. And you feel like, I don't have the bandwidth. I don't have the space in my life to even rejoice with this person. My life is too hard right now. In fact, I find myself just, it's easier for me to envy them or to resent them than it is for me to celebrate with them. When might it be hard to weep with someone? When's it hard for you to come alongside someone and, and mourn and grieve with them? Is it perhaps when you are suffering too? Like I got enough grief in my own life. I don't have space to grieve with you as well. Or maybe when you felt alone, 
No one's come alongside me to help me grieve. No one's weeping with me. I'm not going to try to weep with anyone else. Or maybe it's when you're just doing fine. Things are going well in your life. Or you're caught up with your own concerns. We should admit that this is difficult, that to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep is hard, often. In theory, it sounds wonderful, but in the day-to-day, it's challenging. And I think we would do well to admit the difficulty of it. Whether it's because we are busy, we are distracted, or we are just self-centered, We should be clear on the fact that God is not calling us here to ignore our own emotions. He's not saying no matter what you're going through, it doesn't matter. You need to step up and feel what this person is feeling. It's not what he's saying. Don't ignore your own emotions. What he's doing, what he's calling us to do is to enter into the emotions of others. You see, it's possible to do both. It's possible to grieve your own disappointments even while you celebrate the joy of someone you love at the same time. Perhaps you've experienced that. A season of deep sadness, and yet a loved one experienced blessing, and, and, and there's joy. It doesn't, it doesn't erase the disappointment or the sadness in your heart, but it comes up alongside and somehow helps you to even manage the disappointment in your life. You're encouraged by what you see God doing in someone else's life. This is possible when you see yourself as connected to this other person, if they matter to you. If you see the other person as valuable and and you see the other person as worthy of your love, then you can rejoice over, over what they have even while you experience loss yourself. But it will not be easy. It's it's not, is it? Simultaneously, you can rejoice over what you have and still enter into the sadness of your sister or brother. And this is what God is calling us to do. And it's not going to look the same in every, every single situation. But you can do it. I think that by the power of the gospel, we can do it. We have tried to teach our, our kids this with the help of board games. Because what we found is when our kids are little, they play board games. And they're very excited to play uh, Candyland or Shoots and Ladders or Trouble. You know, the one where you, just, you pop the little dice in the middle and then they move the things around. You eat up your... your, your your brother, your little sister's little pieces. It starts out with laughing and joy. By the end, what we found is that sometimes, sometimes someone was crying, especially if they lose a couple of times in a row. And they realize the, 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 the Mattel gods are against me. I can't win this game. Parker Brothers has it out for me. What we've realized is that we've tried to tell our little when they're kids, when they're little. I was just having a conversation with my five-year-old son about this this morning. You can celebrate your victory, and you can still hug your little brother who's crying because he just got crushed again. Right? You can do both. You can lament your loss, third loss in a row, and still congratulate your big sister and genuinely say, great job. Even through tears, you can do it. In fact, we try to, we, we try to make that happen because we feel that through the, the actual act of it, you're training yourself to realize, oh, I can, I can feel more than one thing at one time. I love you, 
And so somehow I can feel happy for you, even though the overwhelming emotion, let's be honest about it right now, is sadness. Now I don't need to hide the sadness. I don't need to pretend it's out there. I can cry and still find a way to say, I, I love my sister and I'm glad she's happy. Now, if that's possible for little children, maybe. I hope it is anyway. I don't know if what we're doing has, works or not, frankly. But then certainly it's, it's possible for people indwelt by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit who connects us to one another and causes us to love deeply one another. That's, that's something we'll come back to a little later. But for right now, Romans 12, 15 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. And then the very next verse, it says, Live in harmony with one another. Live in harmony with one another. Isn't this interesting? It's not uniformity. Everyone's not always going to feel the exact same way. But we can come alongside one another so that the, the, the mixture of emotions that we're feeling will be affected by one another. So I'm in a place of sadness, but I can come along you and your joy. And somehow your joy will resonate with me and vice versa. So that there's a kind of harmony that develops. And he says, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. And that word for lowly there, that word for lowly can also mean downcast. By lowly, it doesn't just mean someone who is socio socioeconomically poor or underprivileged. Lowly can mean sad. It's translated that way in many places. For instance, in 2 Corinthians 7, we're told that God comforts the downcast through people. So this is part of what Romans is calling us to do. When things are going your way in life, and you're happy, rather than be haughty about it, and haughty means to be arrogant, right? That, that sense of superiority, that sense of like, I got my life under control. Look at how beautifully things are working out in my life because of the decisions I've made, because of the way I've handled things. Instead of being haughty or being wise in your own sight, he says, as if you can take credit for how good things are going for you. Instead, he says, instead, draw close to the disappointed, to the discouraged, to the depressed, Get a sense of the weight of what they're going through. Realize you're no better. Associate with them means actually to get carried away. The word for associate there literally means to be carried along, carried away by them. Envelop yourself in their experience to see what it is that they're going through. Walk with them in their disappointment and discouragement. This does not mean that the only response to hurting people is to weep with them. There are other things that we can do to help hurting people or that others have done for us when we're hurting. But, but to weep must be at least the very first response. If, there, if there's help to be offered or if there are words of counsel to be offered down the road, if there's going to be offers to pray, great, down the road, but all of that will mean very little if there, at, at first, there hasn't been an effort to empathize, an effort to listen, a, a, an effort to simply feel what the other is feeling. You see, Romans 12, 15 also teaches us, teaches us not to treat hurting people like all they need is a quick fix. 
I go, you're in pain? You got some trouble? I got some advice for you. I got some Bible knowledge to drop on you. I've memorized some verses that I'll pull out and give them to you, and they'll, they'll, you'll feel just fine. No. No. Romans 12, 15 calls us not to see each other as quick fix projects, but instead to weep with those who weep. Romans 12, 15 is also not a command to just always try to match the emotions of everyone around you. That doesn't work, right? If we all just try to figure out how you're feeling and just match that, then how are you going to match the other person? The other person? It's, 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 a, it's confusing. But what it means is that God will bring us into situations and in personal relationships where we will be called upon to seek to, to seek to empathize, come alongside and experience something of what the other is experiencing. But we can't apply this so rigidly, right? That, that our job is to constantly just match what everyone else is feeling as if we don't have our own emotions. It's not possible. So don't apply it woodenly. There are certain things that will make someone else happy that certainly won't make you happy, right? Other things that other people might be sad about, and it might be hard for you to enter into that, right? I'm, I, I, I can't promise that I will weep with Brian when the Bills lose later this afternoon. I don't, I don't know that I will. I can try, but I have a feeling I have, feel I'm, I have a hard time weeping when the Buffalo Bills lose in about an hour or so or two. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, Brian. They will win. They are going to win, I believe. And I won't celebrate, frankly. I won't. <laughs> not really. But, but I will feel a joy for Brian. Frank, I, this is honest. I'm not joking anymore. I will feel this sense of like, at least Brian's happy. I can rejoice with him in this much-needed victory. Why? Why? What's the why behind all this? I, I would give it to you in one word. It's love. It's love. To truly share in the experiences of someone is an act of love. You know this, don't you? Have you experienced this where someone has willingly sought to enter into your experience and feel what you're feeling and listen to you and sit with you and try to feel something even though they know they can't, they're not going to get the full weight of it because they're not going through it themselves. But to get as close to that as possible, that is an act of love. Where you love someone so much that you feel the pain that they are suffering, even just a fraction of it, and, and you want so bad to take the pain away, you wish you could fix it. And that impulse, sometimes it comes very naturally in some relationships. With the people that you love most. But Romans 12, 15 tells us that even when it doesn't come naturally, actively extend that kind of love to your brothers, to your sisters, e even when it's not immediate and automatic. It's a call to intentionally move toward others in their suffering and in their joy. And, and to we willingly seek to, to share in it because of love. Because of love. But we need to think about what kind of love is, is Romans 12, 15 calling us to Back in, in verse 9 of this very same chapter, the author says, let love be genuine. In other words, he's talking about a real, not a fake love, a pretend love. 
No, he's talking about an authentic love, but, but it's not a passive feeling either. Like the, something that one would, would I'm saying it's, it's authentic because he's not saying just pretend that you care. That's not it. But it's also, he's also not saying wait until you get the feeling of, of concern and care. He's saying instead move towards, intentionally pursue It's an act of the will. It's an act of the will. And it's motivated by the gospel. If you have, if you have trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior, as Lord, if you believe that he is the Son of God himself, but he became a man, a human like us, in order to, to enter this world and in order to share in human suffering, that, that he, the Son of God, became a man in order to share in our pain, to experience the worst of what this world has to offer, all the rejection, all the disappointment, all the abuse, all the venom and the slander and the abandonment, and ultimately to die disgracefully on a cross. If you believe that he did all that in order to have you, because he loved you, because he regarded your well-being even more highly than he regarded his own comfort, his own life, because he wanted you to have eternal life. If you believe that Jesus willingly entered into our suffering so that we could enter into his joy forever, and then he rose again, proving to all of us that, that the mission was complete, that your future is now secure. If you believe that, then you have believed the gospel. You have believed the good news of Jesus. And when you believed the good news of Jesus, you were brought into a family, the family of God. You, you were united, whether you realize it or not, to every single other person who has trusted in Jesus. You, we, now, we are one. Because in the words of Ephesians 4, we've believed in the same Lord, and we've received the same Holy Spirit who now lives in us, each of us, and, 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 and that Holy Spirit, he, he binds us together, each of us to one another, and he makes us one. So that now we can love each other as one. That's why 1 Corinthians 12, 26, the passage we read earlier says, if, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. He's talking about a body. Think about members, not members of a club, but members of a body. Like you got hands, arms, legs, head, right? When one part of your body suffers, the whole body feels it. You know this, right? You know how pain in one area of body can radiate to other parts of the body? It can lead to other symptoms. Increased heart rate, shortness of breath, headaches, dizziness, malaise, all because of something that's going on in your, you know, furthest 
regions of your body and, and it's affecting everything. And so he's saying when one member of the body suffers, the whole body suffers. Why? Because it's one. It's one. And we as a church are now one body. We are members connected vitally to one another so that your joy is our joy and vice versa. So that your pain is our pain. That's the kind of love that drives us to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. It's the kind of love that comes from believing in Jesus Christ so that you are united to every other person who's believed in Jesus Christ. You've been welcomed into his family. The Holy Spirit now lives in you just as he lives in every other person who has believed in Jesus Christ and has made you one. And so love for one another starts to become like love for self in the sense that when I love you, I'm just loving the body that I'm a part of. It's objectively true, and yet this is a reality that we spend our whole Christian lives trying to work out and figure out how to do well and live in the light of. Because as I said a few weeks back, we can be objectively united and yet not live as if we are united. We can be objectively, from God's perspective, one body and yet live in isolation and detachment from one another so that your joys have nothing to do with me and my pain have nothing to do with you. And yet God is calling us to live in the light of the reality of the oneness that he's given us. When we experience the love of God the Father who gave his son to suffer for us, it motivates us towards that kind of love. When we experience the love of Jesus, the son who lost everything for us in order to have us, and we experience the loving, indwelling presence of his spirit in us who connects us to one another, makes us one. My wife was recently in a competition. It was like a fitness competition. She did very well. And I was wondering, you know, what would it look like if she were to do well in this competition and I was just like jealous and bitter about it? I was like mad. Wouldn't that be weird? Someone's like, oh, I heard your wife did very well. I'm like, ah. I don't want to talk about that. It would be weird, right? Like, what's wrong with this guy? We are one after all. Her accomplishment is my accomplishment. She wins a fitness contest. I somehow feel more fit all of a sudden. <laughs> what if my, my son's about to graduate from high school? What if on his graduation, I'm like, why is he getting so much attention today? I, calling his name and he goes up there. And how about me? I graduated. Kids are in a play, and everyone claps. My kids were in a play last night. Everyone claps. You stand back and say, how about no one applauds me? Like, that's not just petty. That's weird. That's psychopathic behavior, right? Where are my flowers? No, no, no. We, part of the reason I celebrate their accomplishments, not just because I'm, I'm not a psychopath, but it's also because their accomplishments are our accomplishments as a family. It feels good. And when they suffer, how weird would it be for me not to care if we are in fact members of one another? And so it is with the church. And so it is with the church. But because God knows that it's so, he knows it's easy for us in the context of a church to, to grow distant 
aloof, to, to even become envious and bitter towards each other. And this is why he reminds us, this is why he instructs us patiently. He says, cultivate that oneness. We, we saw this a, a few weeks back in Ephesians 4, verse 31. The Apostle Paul there is telling us about cultivating this oneness, this unity. So he says, he says what you need to do is make sure that you leave no room. Get rid of all the bitterness and the wrath and the anger and the clamor. That means shouting and yelling at one another. Get rid of the slander. That means speaking evil of one another. Get rid of all the malice, the evil intent. And instead, he says, be kind to one another. So uh, replace all that with being kind and tenderhearted and forgiving, just as Christ has, God in Christ has forgiven you. And he says in order to do all that, verse 2, he says, you're going to have to cultivate some humility and gentleness and patience so that you can actually put up with one another in love. So, so Ephesians 4 is telling us how to cultivate oneness and unity in that way. But Romans 12 is taking it a step further and saying, live out your oneness by actually sharing in one another's experiences. This is a step, hard, this is a step further. It's harder. because It's not just about managing my own response. Make sure I'm getting rid of the bitterness. Make sure I'm not gossiping. Make sure I'm getting rid of that malice and the envy. It's not just that. It's now positively enter into the experience of the other. So that when you see someone else who is, perhaps you don't know how they're doing, you can find out and then seek to enter into that and open yourself up to receive that from other people as well. And so that you can experience what, what maybe, maybe some of you have experienced, I hope, I hope many of you have experienced this, to, that feeling of, of, of knowing that I am struggling, but others are struggling with me. You are not alone. You're not alone. In Christ, you've been brought into a family. So, so Romans 12 is saying, why not live like it? Why not experience all the goodness that God has, to, has for you in that? This means that, that we need to not only actively move towards one another to enter into each other's experiences, but we need to open ourselves up and invite others into our own experiences. This might be the harder piece for some of us. Like, I'm fine trying to weep with you and rejoice with you, but I don't want to give space for you to come into my life and experience what I'm experiencing. And, and so everything gets blocked at that point. If we are not a people who invite one another into our lives, then we're not willing to share our suffering, share our joy, then we're blocking others from being able to weep with us and rejoice with us. Why? Why would we do that? Why not? Why not invite others into your pain? I'm not pretending that it's easy. I'm simply asking, why not? What would be, what prevents you from inviting other people into your pain, into your struggle? Whatever kind of struggle it is. Struggle with suffering, struggle with addiction, struggle, marriage struggles, your trouble in, in your household with your spouse. I want to encourage you not to isolate yourself. And it's, it's a word to me too. Don't, I, let's not isolate ourselves. Isolation is a major pathway to discouragement. Some would say isolation is the enemy's direct pathway to discouragement. 
And isolation is the breeding ground for depression and anxiety. I'm not saying it's the cause. I'm saying that, that depression and anxiety only get worse in the environment of isolation. Perhaps you know this from your own experience. And isolation is also the best breeding ground for sin. It's where self-deception and, and self-destruction flourish. Proverbs 18.1, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. If you're isolating yourself from community, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're isolating yourself from community, know this, know this. There may be many different surface reasons for why you're doing that. Proverbs would say, deep down, you're seeking your own desire. And he breaks out against all sound judgment. You're violently rejecting the sound the, the, the wisdom that God has for you. What, what Romans 12.15 does is it shows us the opposite of isolation. So again, I would ask, what keeps us from opening? It's a question I've been asking myself this week. What keeps you from opening your life to others? Even the bad parts of your life. What keeps you from doing it? Maybe, maybe it's because you've been hurt in the past when you've sought to do that. You were vulnerable. You were disappointed. Maybe you think as a result of that experience, or maybe because you're just skeptical, you don't think anyone's going to understand what's going on in your life if you open up your life to them. Maybe, maybe they will even judge you. It's possible, isn't it? They might. They might. But I would ask you this. I would ask you this, and, and it really is a question, sincere one. Is your fear more that you will be judged or that you will simply be known? Is your fear that others will know you and then condemn you and judge you? Or is it that they will know you, know the real you, and that scares you? Even though you have every reason to believe that they will deal with you with gentleness and love and patience and compassion. Sometimes I think we resist opening our lives to others because we don't know, we fear that they won't know how to help us. Or they're going to offer help that's not really helpful. Or they won't care. We'll open up our lives and they'll say, they'll be busy and forget about it. All that may happen, and maybe it's happened in the past, but I'm, but I'm asking you to, to, and I'm asking myself, to take the risk regardless. Because what is God calling us to do? If you are a child of God and a disciple of Jesus, what is he calling you to do? Isn't he calling you to take the risk to genuinely and honestly open your life so that other people who, who you have reason to trust can work through, can work, he can work through them in your life to help you carry the burden that you're carrying. Isn't he calling you to invite people into your life to weep with you, to fight with you, to pray with you, so that ultimately they can rejoice with you. The gospel motivates us and empowers us toward that kind of solidarity and openness with one another. So let's not live like we're alone. There was a last point here. had to do with how. It was kind of just practical. You can show the slide. It's just that there's a... Well, I'll recommend these two books. I'm about to stop here, but there's, there's two books that I found very helpful that I... Um, I would commend to you, it's hard to see them here, but 
uh, the one is called What Grieving People Wish You Would Know, or Wish You Knew, I should say. And that's by Nancy Guthrie. She's an author who, who deals, lives with the grief of having lost two of her children. And the other one is called Being There, How to Love Those Who Are Hurting by Dave Furman. Dave Furman is a man who lives with chronic pain and weakness. And both of them have written very helpful books on how to weep with those who weep. And mostly it's the weep with those who weep, frankly. So I'm not going to go into all this. I, we're running out of time here. But I will, I will simply end with this. Entering into one another's experiences is easier said than done, isn't it? Some of you maybe are just really great at this. I, I can think of some of you who are so good at just coming alongside people, empathizing with them, and thank you. Thank you for the example that you are, and thank you for the, the ways that you've taught many of us who struggle in this area. You, you are really an example to us, because some of us need help. We need help, and, and recently... Recently, I read a study that, that, that seemed to show that, that get this, women, maybe, maybe this is obvious, women are better than men at recognizing emotions in others. Does that surprise you? I can't tell if you're surprised or not because I'm a man, so I don't know. I can't tell. But you might be surprised. Um, <laughs> it didn't surprise me. Um, and, and perhaps that ability to read others' emotions, that, that gives you an advantage when it comes to living out Romans 12, 15. But, but guys, don't be discouraged. First of all, the difference was, was marg- it was pretty small. And maybe you, brothers, maybe, maybe you guys are outliers. Maybe you're all great at this. And even if we're not, we can get better at it, can't we? So how do we do this? How do we do this? I've, I've already tried to show you that the power comes through believing the gospel, that's what unites us and motivates us to love one another. But we will have to think about how to do this practically. And though we don't have time to do that this afternoon, I do want to kind of just leave you with these thoughts. We'll, it's helpful to think practically about how to do this. On the one hand, rejoicing with those who rejoice, that can be hard like at the heart level. Like I'm finding it hard to rejoice with you because I'm sad or because I, I envy what you're going through. So that's a heart level. But at the other side of it, the, the weeping with those who weep, I think sometimes the trouble we have there is not so much, it's not always at the heart level, sometimes it's just at the practical level. Like we have good intentions, we mean well, we want to weep with those who weep, I want to come alongside and empathize with you, but uh, I struggle to do it well, right? So we say the wrong thing or we do the wrong thing. And we screw up the whole process. And so I'm going to show you this slide, and we're not going to go through it. I'm going to show you this slide. This is from Dave Furman. Maybe I'll send this out with some comments on it later in the week, because um, I don't have time to go through it. But Dave Furman, in his book, offers these 10 commandments. He says, these are 10 things not to do when you're trying to grieve and weep with those who weep. But what can we do? The authors of both those books that I recommended, both of them tell us that we cannot overestimate the power of simple, silent presence. The, 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 the way that God can use you when you are willing to simply sit with and be present with and listen to someone in pain. Joseph Bailey wrote a book called view from a hearse, and in it he describes his experiences with loss. He's talking about how he was at the, the height of his grief, and he says, I was sitting, I was torn by grief, and someone came and talked to me of God's dealings, of why it happened, 
of hope beyond the grave. This person talked constantly. He said things I knew were true. But then he says, I was unmoved, except to wish that he'd go away. And he finally did. And another came and sat beside me. And he didn't talk. He didn't ask leading questions. He just sat beside me for an hour or more. He listened when I had something to say. He answered briefly. He prayed simply. And he left. I was moved. I was comforted. I hated to see him go. Reminds you of Job, doesn't it? Job's friends who sat with him for days on end and listened and prayed and were simply present. And it, was, it, was, it, was, it, was, it brought help to that suffering man. And then they opened their mouths and they started doing all the things that are listed in those Ten Commandments of things not to do. They started offering easy fixes and comparing and asking inappropriate questions and condemning and over-spiritualizing. And before long, Job probably felt like, I wish these guys would just go away. And so what can we do for each other? There's more to be said, but I'll leave it at this. We can simply, we can simply be present and listen and listen and listen some more. And listen and and be quiet, even in the silence, and then pray. And as we do that, won't God, won't God help us over the long haul to know better how to grieve with this person who's grieving? If we're simply patient through the process, I know that one mistake I've often made, one sin that I've often committed, is to be present at the beginning when the grief is there, but then to just kind of forget about it and walk away. And the person continues to suffer, but I've moved on. And so what, what can God do through not just our willing to be, willingness to be present, to help as, 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 as becomes, to help in ways that become obvious to us as we sit with them over time in their pain and then not walk away, not forget about them, but to stick with them over the long haul. Can't God use that? God can use us to be instruments to bring hope to one another if we're patient and sensitive enough to his spirit's leading. We're not one another's saviors. But because of the finished work of Jesus, we can remind our suffering friends that Jesus understands them. And because of his finished work, healing and peace and joy will one day come. It may not be now, but it will one day come. That hope is real. And even those who today weep together, we will one day rejoice together in the presence of Jesus. This is our hope. Let's pray. Our God, thank you. Thank you for gospel community. Thank you, Jesus, for rejoicing and mourning while you lived on this earth. You rejoiced with those who were getting married in Cana. You, you mourned and grieved with those who were at Lazarus's burial. And you rejoice over us even now even as you sympathize with us in our pain and our struggle. And you've promised, Jesus, that one day you will wipe away every tear. And so we trust you. We trust that your promise is true because you suffered in our place and you rose again. So please, Lord, please fill us with gospel hope. Fill us with gospel love that drives us to you and to one another. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.